Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. Good evening. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. I believe that that same time he began to say to me, Tammy, you do not believe me for big enough things. Well, that doesn't translate over to lots of money and a big house and fancy cars. But I felt him saying, you guys ask me to manage your problems. You don't ask me to take them away. And, you know, we, we want rescue and we want fixing so often. Well, let me just tell you that God gave me a prayer to pray for you guys. And I have been praying for it since the beginning of December, and it's this. He said to ask him to move heaven and earth on your behalf. And then we believe that he will. Now, heaven and earth in your life will look different than in your life or in my life or in the life beside you. But sister, that is not my idea. As a matter of fact, I almost cringe to tell you because I always say, but God, what is... Listen, that's what he's asked me to ask him for. Can you go wrong asking God for what he says to ask him for? All right, before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I am very grateful to you tonight to be here with my sisters. Father, I confess it feels like a whole world ago since the last time I stood with them, but That's because you are always moving and changing and growing in us. And I am thankful for that. I'm thankful that this is an adventure with you. I'm thankful, Father, that I was a little aggravated with you yesterday. I'm thankful that you ruffle my feathers in the ways they need to be ruffled so that you can do new things and good things. God, I I thank you that you are not offended by my ruffled feathers and that you... You knew what was coming before you, before you talked to me about it. And you know how I feel and you know why I feel those ways. And I know that you understand all that, but I say this for behalf of all of us out here. You are a good God. And our honesty with you is, is just opening the veil between us for our benefit, not yours, because every thought and every feeling we have, you are more finely attuned to than we are. And you know why they are there. And it is your goal, Father, to disconnect us and unhook us from all the things that hold us back and to open those channels and the blockages in our lives so that your Holy Spirit's life may flow there. Father God, for this next term, for always, but especially for this time, as these women have dedicated themselves to study, to sit at your feet, to hear your voice, and then to follow your leading. God, I'm asking you to do that, God, that you will identify the blocks in our lives that prevent your flow from being there. In any area where we are tied up or diminished, let your life flow, that your freedom and love may abound there. Father God, we will be transformed in that process in such a way that no one would be able to mistake the changes in us, not for our glory by any stretch of the imagination. I think most of the time we don't even realize it's happening. But God, for your glory, because you are the only God, you are the only God, and you're the only one who loves us 
so powerfully. No other human can love us that way. So God, we, we abandon ourselves to you. And I ask you tonight in this message that you come and do this. You know, it's kind of a bit of material, but I know this is where you want us to go. So I'm asking you to make our brain cells work well, Father, and that you'll let time do what it needs to do so that we're not late tonight. I just ask you to do all the things you would desire to do. And God, change us in the course of these weeks so that at the end of this term, when we stand together and lift our hands to you in gratitude, we can really say to one another, I know he has changed me since the beginning of this year. God, I love you and I thank you that you have called me to serve you and to serve my sisters. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to Isaiah, towards the middle of your Bible, after Psalms. There she is. Hey, Tina. In the middle of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 36. Now, I want you to know that we've got a fair amount of ground to cover in the Scripture itself because... um, (laughs) Let me just tell you, God's word tells it better than I can tell it and that many of us can tell it. But what we can do is kind of pull out the treasures that we want to take home with us. So we're going to skip around. So if you're, if you're a person who gets really aggravated when I say, now skip down to verse, then just listen to me during this time and go back and review it on your own. Okay. I'm also going to be reading out the New Living Translation. Um, And so if that throws you off, then I encourage you to listen and go back and visit this. If there's a, if there's a verse that stands out to you, ladies, please don't hesitate to mark it. I want your Bibles to be very marked up because you can find what is important to you again later when it is marked. So don't be afraid that you're going to offend God over this. This is his love letter to you. This is intimate and personal, and he wants you to make it personal. He doesn't want your Bible to look like it did the day you brought it home from the store. He wants it to show evidence of your relationship. Now, I'll tell you one other thing, just in case there's any questions. I know a couple of you have gotten a New Living Translation Bible after having spent this time with me um, through New Living. I'll just throw a little monkey wrench in and say there are two types of New Living Bibles. But no, but let me explain this. The black Bible that I've had up here a lot of times is what you call an older New Living. And it's the only one I had for a long time. And I went to buy this one because that one has been falling out of its, it's taped up in there and it had fallen out of its cover a long time ago because it's one of the little $20 thin lines. That's all I've ever used. But I bought this New Living and began reading through it and discovered it's not exactly the same. They made revisions um, in the, in, in the recent years. So I, if there's a little difference, if you're, if you have a new living, sometimes in your homework, I will use the older new living because I love its translation. Sometimes I'll use the newer new living. So if you wonder about that, that's all that is. It's just this, the um, evolution of these translations. Okay. Isaiah chapter 36, beginning in verse one. We're going to read one and two and then skip down to verse four. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah's reign, King Sennacherib of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquered them. Then the king of Assyria sent his chief of staff from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. The Assyrians took up a position beside the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Now, hold on a second. Let me explain something. 
Um, if you know a little bit about things, this is much further in our uh, journey through the scriptures than where we've been studying. Sorry, this thing is going to... Okay. Um, and because of that, I want you to know this thing. Later down the road, past where we will be studying in scriptures, Israel divides, it has a civil war of sorts, and divides into two countries. Part of it keeps the name Israel, and the other part keeps the name Judah, which was the name of one of the tribes, you'll remember. So in these parts of Scripture, you'll hear Israel and you'll hear Judah. So what has happened is the king from Assyria, these were big, bad, ugly dudes who loved to conquer other lands, came in and took over Judah. Well, its twin sister Israel is now being confronted by the same king. He's shown up and said, I want you too. So that's what's happened in those two verses. Verse four, then the, then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them to give this message to King Hezekiah. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in? that makes you so confident. Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it'll be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many to, men to ride on. Did you hear the insult? I'll give you the horses if you can find the men to ride on to go to war against me. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops, even with the help of Egypt's chariots or charioteers? What's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? Listen to this. The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. Skipping down to verse 14. This is what the king says. He's saying this to the people. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue. Don't be, don't let him fool you into trusting in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall into the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this, a land of grain and new wine, bread, and vineyards. Don't let Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will rescue us. Has the gods of any other nations ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad? And what about the gods of Surfer Vayam, I have no idea how you say that. Did any God rescue Samaria from my power? What God of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? We're going to stop right there. The enemy had a lot to say, didn't he? Well, tonight I have a question for you. And the question is this, in what are you trusting? 
His very first statement to them is, what are you trusting in? And I really wanted to write the point that way, but you know it's improper grammar, and so I had to fix it. But in what are you trusting? In what are you trusting? Our, the first thing I want you to know, your number one point is this. I am familiar with the enemy's messages. And then I'll explain. Number one, I am familiar with the enemy's messages. Renee, you can just always leave these up on screen if you need to. Okay, here's what I want you to know about this. This scripture that we just read is is quoting the king of Assyria and his henchmen who are sitting there to um, badger the people, to intimidate the people. But what I want you to know is that your enemy, who is very real, the one who would like to take you out of God's usefulness and leave you a broken, battered person, has been teaching you and speaking to you and drilling you with many of these same lies. Let me kind of rephrase it for you this way. Um, Let me read verse 5 again, and I want you to hear it from your context this time. Let's see. Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? In verses 8 and 9, I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with me. Here's what the, here's what the point there is. Um, but first bullet point, your strength is nothing compared to mine. Have you received that message? Your strength is nothing compared to mine. Yes, you hear that message on a regular basis, but it's so subtle that you wouldn't even know. Here's how it comes to you. It's more like, that's too big. That's overwhelming. How many times do we say, I'm overwhelmed? This is overwhelming. That is the same message. Uh, Your strength is nothing compared to mine. That's what the enemy is teaching you there. Second bullet point, your God is frustrated with you. Do you hear in verse 7 where he says, um, isn't God, why are you trusting in the Lord your God? Isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? And then he says, after that, he says, what's more? Do you think we've invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself told us, attack this land and destroy it. You know what he's saying is, your God's frustrated with you. He's upset with you. And here's all the reasons why. And he recounts those reasons. Then later on, he says, and by the way, God told me to do this to you. Your God is frustrated with you. When you don't trust your God, when you have any sense that says, I don't know if God's going to come through on this. I'm not sure if I can trust him. I don't know if he's good or if he's mad at me. This is the lie that you have heard. The next bullet point is this. No one else can help you. When he said about Hezekiah, don't listen to him and don't rely on Egypt. He's saying no one else can help you. You are all alone in this. That's what he's saying. And you hear that message from the enemy on a regular basis. No one else can help you. The next bullet point is, I'm willing to make a deal with you. Did you hear him say, I'll tell you what, y'all come on out of the gates and we'll let you keep your land. And then we are going to, of course, send you away to another land, but it'll be a great land. But you know, he doesn't tell him, but you're going to be slaves in that land which is exactly what's going to be the case. 
And they know that he has overrun other countries. But come on out and let's make a deal. You know, there was a time in my own journey after Jake was born and it just seemed like thing after thing kept happening. And I really still had a huge thing ahead of me that was coming that I didn't even know about. But there came a thought to me. I can remember we were in a little rental house in Hanahan. And I remember the thought came to me. If I was willing to stop serving God publicly, meaning ministry, would the devil leave us alone? Because my son was being picked on and I had no idea there were much worse things coming. But you get to that point where you think, if I opt out, would he leave me alone? The enemy says, let me make a a deal with you. The la- uh, next bullet point is this. Look at my record of doing whatever I want. And God doesn't stop me. The enemy lets you look. When, when you begin to say, you know what? God might do something for me in my life. You know what he, the enemy's going to do? He's going to point out to you all the Christians who've dropped out of the race, who they aren't in church anymore. They're not, they used to be even leaders. My heart breaks sometimes over these things. Listen, this easily happens if we are not staying on track with God. Easily doesn't mean quickly. But you know, what is the law that says that any, um, there's this, oh boy, when I think and I haven't had time to think it through, but there's a, there's some sort of scientific law that, that basically says that there is no such thing as standing still. Everything is deteriorating, right? Somebody know what that law is called? Law of decay. Thank you. Hi. Good to see you back there. The law of decay. Everything is going downhill, basically. You cannot stand still with God. You are either going backwards or you are going forward. You will find that is true in almost every area of life. There really is no middle of the road. So you know these messages from the enemy. What I'm going to ask of you guys over... The weeks ahead, I want you to begin to listen in to the messages you are being given in your own life. This uh, this arrow that is on this bullet point right here, that's going to start showing up in your everyday's homework starting next week and not this week. And it will be just a small section in the journaling that'll just say, what kind of negative thoughts or feelings have you been having? You don't have to do anything about them, not asking you to grade them or judge them. And I'm not asking you to, I'm just asking you to begin to pay attention because the soundtrack of our life, the enemy's messages are so subtle and so consistent that the noise in our head, we don't even know it's not supposed to be there. And this is where the Lord started with me. It's beginning to understand where the enemy was coming in. So I want you to begin to pay attention to that. Just pay attention to it, and then you can talk to God about it and pray about it. All right, we're going to move on and see what God's response to uh, this whole situation was. Um, Looking at chapter 37, I'm going to skip down to verses 6 and 7. Basically, Hezekiah sends a messenger to the prophet Isaiah. And here's what it says, Isaiah the prophet replied, Say to your master, this is what the Lord says. Now, he's speaking on behalf of God, okay? Do not be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me from the Assyrian king's messengers. Listen, 
I myself will move against him, and the king will receive a message that he is needed at home, so he will return to his land where I will have him killed with a sword. If you would like to study along with me, you can find the workbooks at tamifile.com and just click on the bookstore tab. This message coordinates with the first workbook in the Journey with God series called Discovering the Father's Heart.